Welcome, everybody, to Jammers in the Rough. We got a super exciting guest with us this week. But as always, we have our amazing host, Josh, who's trying everything under the sun winter. Cody, the absolute worst, because he's Not actually trying says. to change. He's trying nope. to change his nickname actively, and that's just the worst kind of move. The we worst have, of my bro. <laughs> we have myself and <laughs> Myron, who is a brick and mortar shop owner here in Oregon. He is the Halo King of Eugene. Uh, Myron, do you want to talk about yourself a little bit? Well, <clears throat> sure. Uh, I think uh, for the most part, the biggest thing that describes what I'm trying to do is like disc golf. I'm trying to do as much different disc golf things as I can. I think the coolest thing, um, number one in disc golf is the people. And the second coolest thing is the discs. And so the more discs you're able to see and touch, the better it is. So I'm located at 1506 Willamette Street in Eugene, Oregon. Um, I'm open 11 to 5 Wednesday through Sunday. Um, and my hours are going to change here pretty soon with daylight savings. And I really appreciate you guys. Um, but come on down and see a bunch of different discs. I, I do have a lot of halos. Um, I have a bunch of the new Scroggins ones. And then I just hit the drop for the Calvin Heinbergs. And I have a lot of the white ones coming, which are going to be pretty nice. I definitely want some white Heinbergs. These are like my absolute favorite bombers right now. They're just mm -hmm. instantly added 50 feet to my arm and just as much control as my CD3. So I'm stoked on them. They're my favorite not, thing is... Right? Not no, a they're one tick less stable. Yeah, this thing is like... Oh, that's ridiculous. beef, beef. Yeah, this yeah is that's beef. USDA organic. Grass <laughs> <laughs> Possibly wagyu. It's hard to tell. <laughs> Awesome. Um, so, like, so since you have like, you know, it's being a brick and mortar shop, uh, like the first first one that came about here in Eugene area, you know, besides played against sports, have you found any challenges having a brick and mortar shop versus doing something online? Uh, yes. So I started in 2019 with only MVP, uh, MVP being my only brand. Um, and I, from back then, I was purely vending at events and purely online. And then in 2021, I opened on Father's Day to my brick and mortar location. And I would say the biggest challenge that I've had so far is just disc availability. And so it's kind of like um, there might be one week in July that I have the opportunity to buy a certain disc. And then I might not have that opportunity to buy it for like another six months. And so it's hard, like, you're like, okay, so this is a cool disc, but do I buy five of it or do I buy 25 of it? And like, how long is it going to take it to sell? And is it actually good? Like, we don't know. Like, it could be terrible. It could be great. Um, a great example of like a really good drop is like the um, this Mania FD, FDs. Um, that was really good. Well executed by the company. Um, the discs arrived on time. They did exactly what the flight numbers say that they do. And people love them. Like, that's really cool. Um, there's been other drops that are, like, when the amount of discs coming in starts to drop, secondhand prices go up. And that's not really what we're trying to do. Like, we want as many discs as possible in as many different people's hands. And uh, people really shouldn't have to pay, let's say, $45 for a $25 disc. But uh, it's kind of like we live in a world where, uh, that's that's what happens. 
Well, and that's, I mean, I think a good point that you bring up too. Like, where do you find the balance of secondary market, like in buying from there for yourself in order to kind of meet some of that demand locally? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like, I mean, I've been into your store before and I'm like, oh yeah, do you have this? Do you have that? And you're like, oh no, no, no. And I know sometimes that's hard as a seller or, you know, as a shop and then being able to like, okay, well, I tracked this down for you. I got it in here. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I think with the Halo Firebird, I walked out of your shop one time with like two Halo Firebirds where it's like, oh yeah, like yep. I've been looking for these for a while and you happen to have two of them they were inked cody so you, you oh, don't yeah, want them but well, um, I, I have five more that are uninked <laughs> but it's off. like back to that, that that question of like where do you find that that balance with it all because you don't know what's going to sell stock and you yeah. also don't know what's going to buy like sell a second because like just because something sells online doesn't necessarily mean it's going to sell in a store so where do you find right. that balance with everything um the balance that i find is i try to find throwable discs and I talk to people about what discs they're looking for and what discs they actually throw versus what they buy to collect. Um, and then uh, I try to buy like a reasonable amount of straight stuff, stuff that flies in a relatively easy to throw direction. And then I kind of splash in the overstable stuff and understable stuff on the sides. Um, the hardest part is figuring out how much to sell stuff for because um, like this is my only form of income. So if my store is not making money, then I go out of business. Um, and I think uh, the companies have done a really good job of providing MAP, minimum allowed price or minimum advertised price, where you're not allowed to sell under that price. And it's a really nice protection for the seller because like I'm, I'm putting an investment in when I, when I purchase something. And then let's say that I were to go out and that same thing that, I, that I'm charging $16 for, somebody's charging $10. Um, it's impossible to compete with that. And nobody there is actually making money. Like. I'm not making money because mine's not selling and the person selling for below for way less, they're not making any money either. And so it's kind of like we're going through a transition where it's been the, the sport of it's, Hey, that's my friend who has that stuff that I want. And to, Hey, there's this guy who um, is a professional at selling discs at providing a, a service of a quality discs at a lower price um, within reason. And so I just try to follow the rules and then I just use like, I'm trying to mark something up. It's kind of like, well, I wouldn't want to buy something that somebody marked up three times over what they paid for it. Like that's kind of, kind of, kind of scummy. But then there's also like, I'm not expecting somebody, I'm not trying to pay somebody a dollar for their work either. So like I try to figure out what would I be willing to pay for this and then try to go a little bit under that. It's a hard balance. It's definitely a hard balance, especially in this market. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like there's other things like the the cloud breakers from Dismania. Um, I sold, I got twelve. I sold those, sold out of them day of at MSRP. Um, and then, like over the next three weeks, you see them selling for sixty, seventy, eighty, ninety, a hundred, and people are buying them to throw. And it's kind of like that's that's a hard one when it's kind of like you got to eat that. Like, like okay, so I if I sold them for twenty three dollars or twenty seven dollars, whatever they MSRP at. And somebody sold it for, let's say, seventy-five dollars. Well, they they made more profit than I made gross off that disc. Oh, that's a hard one. Yeah, it, it is hard, but but also like as a a reseller of a disc, you're mm-hmm. given an MSRP, which is not something you have to abide by. You don't right. you sell it for higher, but people are going to come back to a seller who is a dealer and selling at the correct prices. Mm-hmm. If the people who sell at a higher price, it's like, I'm not going to go there. Because um, it's just, 
I don't want to pay for more more than I have to when there are reputable sellers that will sell it to me at MSRP on drop date. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but again, you got to pay bills and MSRP for dealers. You're not making that much money on each desk. Like no, it's uh, and that's that's where return customers are the they are the lifeblood of any store. Um, it's kind of like um, I would rather make a hundred fifteen dollar sales than one hundred dollar sale um, every day of the week. And I'll do that over and over again. It's like I, I want to I want people to remember when they left with the disc for me that they were able to throw it. Um, like um, it's so cool selling somebody some discs and then them shooting me a picture of something saying, Hey, I just got my first birdie or hey, I'm just out here doing something. I just this is my longest drive and it's like three hundred and ten feet and they're just like ecstatic. <laughs> it's like cool. Like I'm I'm glad that I was able to help you like change something about your game. Yeah. <laughs> Cody getting streaked over there. <laughs> I, yeah, I was thinking, come on. Now he's crawling underneath. No, but um, Myron, that's like a big thing for me. Like, I would actually rather pay a dollar or two more and come back to the same person who I know is going to give me a fair price, who's going to, yeah. you know, actually care about what they're selling me. Um, and I, I'm a big fan of being loyal to. You know, if someone takes care of me, hey, I'm coming back to you. I'll ask you first, hey, yeah. are you going to get that drop? Are you going to get it? Uh, when are you going to get it in? Because I'd rather support someone that's going to support me back mm -hmm. instead of just like uh, I've seen a couple of sellers online that will take the good stuff they have, hide it away and sell it for that secondary markup. And yeah. hey, like you said, you got to pay bills. So I get it. But, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of taking care of the little guy if they're taking care of me when it comes to that like so i've been at 21 events this year so far um and i try to sell my favorite thing is being somewhere and seeing and just spotting a disc and going wow that disc is sick and going wait a minute i sold that to him um and like seeing somebody that's like jammers in the rough it's literally just like seeing this gorgeous disc that somebody could have put on the wall and they got it for a price that made them willing to go throw it to lose it um, and it's really cool. And it's like, um, sometimes I, cause I do a lot of NADDT tournaments up and down I five and I'll, sometimes I'll see somebody and it's like their whole bag are discs that they've bought for me. And it's so cool. Like um, I had a guy who they can shot like 23 over at Dexter last year. And this year he shot like nine to 12 under, um, that's, that's crazy. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but, it, <laughs> um, but that, that's really cool like just to see like somebody progress and like they're getting they have access to the plastic that they're able to perform with um as it's like i don't really prioritize any brand over the other i think mvp has some science things on their side but, i mean i can go make a little a tinfoil halo to put on because um, <laughs> that's like it's kind of like everybody has their own preferences but all the companies are making the best discs of all time like I think hands down, it's never been as good as it is right now. I mean, I'm, I'm going to jump on that for a second because you're absolutely right. Um, I'm going to say you might hear it first here on Jammers in the Rough, but disc golf just became legitimate. Franklin, oh, yeah. Franklin Disc Golf has three PDGA-approved discs coming out. A mid, a driver, and a putter. We talked about this. They got approved last week. Or maybe be sponsored. Right. The first Franklin sponsored player. Yeah. I will be mediocre at best, much like their disc. 
Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's bring it back. You you made note about um, something that you like to have in your shot is like our shop is pretty straight, like flying discs. And, you know, playing the Eugene area, that's kind of a shot that's over and over and over again for your two courses, well, your three courses down there. Like if you just have a leopard, you almost can get by 75% of the holes down in Eugene. Um, is that something that you just decide because you want it to be beginner friendly or you're like, okay, like, hey, these are our courses. These are what's going to be best here. So let's buy these kind of discs that are going to survive here. Uh, uh -oh. We can't hear you. We lost you. We can't hear you. There you go. Can you? Oh, no. Nope. Oh, no. Technical difficulties, like guys. Thing. It's like technical difficulties in a place like elevator music. Work on that well, for next week, Josh. Yeah, just let us know. Let us know when uh, you got your audio back. Um, but while you're working on that, um, our courses are not straight down here. We have Alton Baker's 18 holes of the same yeah, shot. Of course. But that's one of three. So, like, if when you're starting to add percentages and you have, what, 56 holes? Or, what, like, whatever, 54 holes. Yeah, 54 holes and 18 of them right there on one course of the same shot. So then Dexter, you add another six, seven, eight, nine. Stub Stewart. I mean, just I'm just saying, a lot of it's very recycled shots. Whoa. Don't. I don't love I love like Dexter. That. I love Dexter. I love like golf, but hey, don't. What about Serene? Huh? What about Serene? Serene. Serene Did you say shampoo? I no, know shampoo. I don't know what it is, but I know I the name. It. No, I count it in there. You count? Oh, because you want to you want to be right, so you want to sway the statistics and go uh, Serene, nope. which is like I, an I hour away. I have a disc that has an old stamp from Eugene Disc Golf Club, and Camp Serene is on that little map on there. So, <laughs> well, I guess that's a small town, right? Anything within an Josh hour counts as a out town. Maps. I have a map. <laughs> I have a sexton. <laughs> See, like around here, like there's four courses around me. Most of them are wooded. The closest, like disc golf, golf course is like about 40 minutes away and i went to it last summer it's an old golf course that someone's building a disc golf course on that's like the only course where you have anything over like 400 feet more than once most of the course around here are all like tunnel shots like my bag i pretty much build around it's mainly mids and fairways yeah well that's i mean that's kind of like eugene disc golf is that kind of same sense and yeah there's like a little bit like alternate like shaped shots but it's also like you know, oh, it's 260 and, you know, you can get by with a leopard on a hyzer if you really need to. Like the point being, like, you can kind of just throw one disc through a lot of it. Granted, you're going to need more, but when you have a new player and you're wondering what's going to give them the most success for the long run, like being able to kind of like stock like a leopard or an FD or a sidewinder or something and see some of those like progressions versus like, I don't know, like an undertaker even where it's like, oh, that might be too stable. That might be too more of advanced of a disc with that torque and the power behind it to hit a 300, 400 foot dead straight shot. That's all. Yeah. No. Are you there, Myron? Ah, it's all right. We're still just talking, gabbing. Maybe his AirPods died. So, cause I mean, I feel like here, like in, like in, in the Portland area, I carry so many discs because all of the courses are so demanding on different shots. Like you can't get by with like that at all. And granted, like when you get to one course, you don't need your full bag. You probably need a quarter of it. But my bag's always ready for every single course in our area. But if I was to go to Dexter, 
Eugene and play that for like say two to three weeks straight and want to minimize my bag. I'm just making the argument I can throw three or four discs and probably be fine. I that's I have noticed my gameplay has improved the less disc I carry because I oh, used I'm, to carry an Octothorpe and I still have it because it's a great bag. But then like I went to a shift, then I found a Carlton around here for like dirt cheap. So I'm carrying that, but now I carry like instead of 30 disc, I carry 18. Yeah, and I think that's a good thing. Like narrowing your disc. Like for me, I have like my full bag that's kind of like set. But my goal when I'm in tournaments is settle on one angle. And when I'm throwing that angle good, then my bag is set up to where it's like 12 speed, 9 speed, 7 speeds, like 5 speeds, 3 speeds. All can be thrown on that angle and I can control it. And so then it's reinforcing that known. Um, and I have that on my hydro flip angles, my any angles, my flat angles. I have my whole bag kind of shifted that because it's settle into what's comfortable and then just throw those same three discs if you're throwing like you know a cd3 really well and you throw that over and over again i think you're gonna have more success than you're trying to be like okay do that cd3 well, well let me see how i'm throwing my fd let me see how i'm throwing my fd3 and then next thing you know yeah, you're starting makes, to, yeah. yeah if like you mix everything all up that's it's gonna cause like the less i have to choose between because i can be like oh i could throw this or this and then i'm like no just give me the a couple options and i i I keep a box in the back of my car with kind of like some things I rotate out. Like if I'm going to a course that does have that like 500 foot hole, I might throw in something different or substitute where I can just change. But, you know, I'm carrying three wraiths, two T-Bird threes. Uh, Myron, on the bottom, it shows your little signal with an Did X you, on it. I, you might have clicked mute. Yeah. yeah. Like you see how we have like those like, you know, Wi-Fi says, bars. Yeah, like yours has an X. Like Wi-Fi bars. We might have to teach Myron American. There, oh, wait, wait, you just whatever you did took it off. No, it's not unmuted. It's just I don't know what the little bars are for. No, but he just it. it oh, did there it wait, there it is. No, oh, no, ah, we couldn't hear him though. Whatever you did, do it again. <laughs> just find a piece of paper, and we're going to ask you questions. You just have to write it, and we will we will dictate it for the online listeners. Myron says. Yes, there it is. Oh no! Yeah, it, it like pops on for a second, like like you are going to talk, but I can't hear anything when you do it. I can't hear anything either, Josh. For our lovely guests, thank you for being patient. We'll be back to conversations just as soon as we can. Myron is showing that he's a little bit older, and technology is difficult, <laughs> and we're trying our best to work with him from afar. <laughs> but the man does sell disc very well. Check out his <laughs> website at I don't know. Fill it in for me. It's funny as I got some great questions for him, but I will say I've been throwing this disc a lot. Oh, what do you got, baby? I just said F it. Uh, Wait, thing, this thing, this uh, Leopard 3, this own Scoggins one, I freaking love it so much. I tell cannot... people what year it is. It's so RDG uh, 2022. Yeah, it's yeah, it's... Did that work? Yes, it Yo! did. Woo! I just had to close it and start it up again. Sorry. Oh, and you sound great. This is a good one. Don't sleep on these. Paige is going to send me one that he threw. I am. I have your stack over here. I just got to send you a picture of it. I've been slacking. I mean, we all have. It's okay. Um, Kind of going back to that. I I didn't hear too much, so I'm sorry. Going back to the question of picking discs in my store to kind of match the shots for the courses in the area. Um, I'll say the biggest thing that I do that matches that is I don't try to sell a lot of high-speed drivers. Um, Because for the most part, like, 
I think there's only a couple holes over 400 feet and most everything is somewhere under there. And so the average person is going to need like, like a firebird, a thunderbird, a sidewinder and a T-bird or something like that across the spectrum to be able to throw all those holes. Um, and so I, I kind of draw a line right around 11 speed and I don't try to sell anything faster just so that like, I feel really comfortable with what I sell to people because they can actually throw it. And then from there, it's kind of like, when somebody actually needs a high-speed driver, they know, like, and they know what they need. Yeah, that's and a good so question. Like, like, I have a follow-up to that. Like, um, where do you like cater towards? Like, more of like the new players that are coming in and building that repeat customers in those bases, or some of those maybe experienced customers that already kind of know when they go in there what they want. Like, how does those like dicom or like dynamics start to look? Um. I would say they're extremely similar. I just try to treat each person with a lot of respect. I respect their game because, you know, at the end of the day, we're not, none of us are Paul Macbeth. Um, but every time I go play, I'm trying really hard to throw my best shots. And I assume that everybody else is more or less trying to throw their best shots. So I feel like a lot of us, like whether they're brand new and I'm just kind of explaining some simple concepts or they've been around playing for a while. And I'm talking about kind of like uh, more metagame, philosophy stuff like um between the two it's at the end of the day i'm just talking about disc golf and discs and so it's just kind of like this is what this disc does it does it fit your game mm -hmm. um and a lot of people i feel like really respond well to having their game respected um it's kind of like it's not a um it's not a competition it's more of just going out there and like it's an art form almost like how can you make stuff look pretty in the sky like that's my favorite part. And then how close can you get it? We just um, there's something here. really cool about watching somebody that can putt, like just being there and hearing the chain smash. It's, it's cool. <laughs> no, Owning a shop, do you find yourself uh, getting more putting practice in? I feel like on a downtime or something, like I'd prop up a basket and just be like, bang, bang, bang. Here's an hour of putting practice. <laughs> so what I do is on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I have a practice out at Lush Wild Turf Field. Um, I just go out there from 9 to 10.45. I stretch for 30 minutes, and then I throw till 10.45. Um, I bring a basket. I have a radar gun, a net. Like, I, I have everything you could ever need. Um, and so I I actively try to do 110-foot putts per session. And I my rule is until I can make all 110-foot putts, I'm not allowed to step back at all. Um, so... It's been a week and a half since I last got a practice because I was in Kentucky up until Tuesday night and I didn't want to practice on Wednesday and then just kind of like trying to recover. Um, but just going, I, I do practice more than I think the average person um, because like going and playing takes a lot of time and a lot of, it's a lot of energy to play, um, but it's really easy to go to a confined space and practice. Um, and it's kind of like, I feel like I've gotten, I mean, I'm not good. Like, please don't, I'm not saying I'm good. Um, but I feel like I've gotten a lot better within my game. Um, particularly like, so I did it, I think twice a week since February, every, doesn't matter if it was raining, snowing, sleeting, cold. Um, there was one day where it was raining so hard where I think I sat in my car for a little bit. Um, but for the most part, just going out there and throwing and just uh, throwing a bunch of different discs and trying to get a feel for what's going on. Um, it, it's been a lot, but it's it's fun. So and I do some in-store practice, 
but I have a um, a, uh, a barbershop and a massage parlor next door to my store. And so it's kind of like I have a no drama llama that I put in there, but it's kind of like, why would I why would I make a bunch of banging noises to my neighbors? I mean, it sounds like a massage parlor might be doing a bunch of banging noises, so just match them. No, it's Swedish. They're they're very, very posh. <laughs> but I like um, the fact that you're the Kobe Bryant of disc golf. I put twice a week, a hundred times, and I cannot leave. That's like Kobe Bryant type stuff, man. I like it. I, I came over from ball golf. Like I, my goal was to be a PGA professional um, for a long time. And I mean, in high school, we practiced five days a week um, from three to seven or something like that. Three to six thirty. Um, we play around, hit golf balls. And then the rule was you had to make 25 three footers before you could leave. Um, and so it, it's not that much different. And it's like, I like disc golf even more than I liked golf. So it, it's kind of like, why, why not? Well, I find like we talk about that all the time with uh, like treating this like a sport, treating it like practice, treating it like, you know, finding that rhythm with it. Because, yeah. I mean, if you just kind of wake up like and show up to your golf course, try to sh shoot hot, it's going to take you all that time to warm up. It's going to take all of these things to start to click. And it's just like, well, like I like that you said you spend 30 minutes stretching and, mm -hmm. you know, getting ready for that. Like, That's been the like, hardest part. Like, yeah, just dedicating the time to stretching. Um, and like, I have like a band and it's like, um, I did, I run a little bit and I don't like running, but it's like, it's hard to just have the discipline to like, not sit there and try to rip it 400 feet over and over again. Not that I can, but trying to like, instead, like just trying to throw it 70% and like having the discipline to say, I, I want to be better. This is what I have to do to get better. Well, and that's where like, I find myself too, like sometimes being limited by the space that we're at. Like I've been like venturing up North. And I've been playing Horseshoe Lake, which is in like Port Orchard. I've been playing like Delphi, which is in Olympia. But these are on ball golf courses where that stamina factor, like you want to talk about the difference of like throwing like 400, like two or three times with the rest of them, like 350 on down. I have that dialed in. I can do that all day. I can throw it four mm -hmm. or five times off the tee, all 18 holes. But you go up and you're like 400, 450, 18 times. And I'm just like, fuck, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and be able to kind of train for some of that, like, and I think that's where that practice comes in and training like you want and how you're trying to plan for that. I mean, yeah, when you training plays a big part and diet plays a big part as well. Like, are you trying to like, I feel like the average disc golfer doesn't put a lot of thought into what they're eating. And it's kind of like if you didn't eat anything for breakfast and you're trying to go play a two hour round of disc golf and then maybe go get something greasy for lunch and then go play another two hour round of disc golf. Like I do that all the time. So, I mean, it is what it is, but if you're trying to shoot hot for eight hours, like you got to have a plan on nutrition and like actually putting good stuff in being hydrated and like finding that steady, instead of being up and down, finding that steady, like smooth rhythm. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, no, my knowledge from golf tells me that it's extremely hard to do that. And most people, that's the biggest thing that people struggle with. Well, that's the biggest thing people struggle with in practice in general. It's how do you maintain that consistency? How do you show that discipline? That's why like discipline exists, right? You're being able to showcase that in sports. And that's why some people are successful because they are willing to do that extra work. And there's a reason why people always fall short because when the going gets tough, right? The tough get kind of going, um, well, the week. Anyways, whatever. Sports <laughs> metaphors. There's a, there's a reason there's thousands of them. Insert metaphor here. <laughs> but yeah. when you talk about as a player and as a shop owner, you win in 21 events. Um, how does it start to be like, oh, I'm manning a tent, I'm playing, I'm 
you know, traveling for this, that, and the other, where does it start to like look like as a shop owner slash player? Um, for the most part, what I've what I've had to do is I have to prioritize being there for the players over playing for myself. So I've only played like four, maybe five tournaments this year. Um, maybe maybe four. Um, if I'm being generous. Uh, for the most part, it's kind of like, so I leave my house at like 2, th- so if I'm going to Salem, I leave my house at like 2.30 in the morning, and I start driving, and I try to get there like at 6 or so if the tournament's starting at 8.30. I try to be the first person set up and have everything out so that when people show up, they, I, it makes me feel bad when people have to come and move my stuff, so I try to get it all set up ahead of time. Um, and like just being there for them and like treating that as like, there's been times like I had a NADGT tournament at Buxton where it was like 38 to 41 degrees and raining sideways. And I was standing there in the rain waiting for people to come in and I'm sitting there and I'm cold. And all I could think about was there was like 84, 82 players out there sloshing through that rain, playing disc golf, like trying to bring home that trophy for whatever division, like out there actively battling. it's like um, being there to support that is pretty cool. It's like, I have never, particularly with the NAGC, but in disc golf in general, I have never seen so many like-minded individuals like trying to accomplish the same task. And it's like, I'm just, for the most part, disc golfers are just trying to get through that round. It's like, we're here, like we, we've done everything we need to be here. We have our bag set and now let's, let's battle through this course together. And like, sometimes well, there's an inner friction, but I feel like it, it's pretty good. Well, I think that's a good, sorry, there's all this feedback, but I think. Paige joined. Whoa. Paige is gone. He was talking Whoa. so much. He... I know, I think something took him over. Yeah, he, he's showing his age with that there internet stuff. <laughs> exactly. And well, somehow I'm labeled as the worst every single week. What do you mean? Ah! <laughs> I mean, I respect a good banner, so I can't say anything. Dude, Paige is chunking. Oh, and Paige has left. Well, why? While he's figuring that out, um, so I know you're also like you've you put on a tournament recently. Yes, uh, I put on the the most recent one. So I did a series through last year, which was five tournaments, mm-hmm. uh, the Camp Stream Winter Series, and then I did the Jim McLean Memorial Tournament which yeah. was out at, um, it was a warehouser property managed by Willamalane. And that was really cool. We had, um, I think, 109 volunteer hours logged for the event. And they did some really cool stuff there at that property. Um, I would say that's probably the most successful tournament I've been a part of so far. Like, so we went from 72 players to 80 players to 90 players, which is 18 groups of five to, I think, at the, on tournament day when we teed off, we had 94. 94. Which is, uh, what is that, 14 groups of five and four groups of six? That's a lot. Um, and pace of play wasn't bad, and the course played pretty good. Yeah, I think there's uh, a couple of holes that were got caught up on. The triple Mando was mean, mm-hmm. um, especially with the wind coming up off the river. Um, so that property is really cool, and we're working on developing it more. There, What I found out the day after the tournament, so on Monday when I met with Will Amelaine, there are three major construction uh, major construction projects going into that park over this year. Um, there's like something to do with the parking lot, something to do with the electrical stuff that's out there, and then there's a dam that they have to raise like three or four feet. Woo! Yeah, that might be. Uh, 
um, I mean, the parking situation at that place would have to be expanded. Yes, that was their number one thing. They're not going to let us use it again until um, the parking is figured out. Um, There's some solutions like hiring a parking uh, uh, crossing guard and somebody just to stand out there for the whole time. And that's something that we're looking at. Um, But we got to basically they're going to redo the parking lot. And so Mm -hmm. they said, we're just not going to rent to you until it's done. And so um, we've done everything to put the ball in their court. We uh, originally we were told just getting anything out there would be a big deal. And then we went from nothing to um, we were doing a fundraiser and that was our first goal. We were going to raise money for the baskets. And then we met with Willamette Lane and they told us that they didn't need our money and that if they, we did give them money, they wouldn't use it for it's like two and a half or three years. And it would just get locked away in an account. Um, so they suggested that we pay it out to the players, which is what we did. Um, and so, so it was a fundraiser tournament, though, right? Say again. It was a fundraiser tournament. Original. So originally, it was a fundraiser until we met with Willamette Lane, and they said they didn't need our, need any funds. So if oh. we raised money for that property, they wouldn't use it. Okay. Um, and then so, so that we wanted to buy. We were like, well, can we just buy baskets and give them to you? And they said, even with that, they'll just lock them in a warehouse, like. Um, the best thing that we could do is just get the people there and show them that it's there um, and just really get the the higher ups at Willamaline to understand that people in the community want a disc golf course, which they do. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. So, yeah. So all that was like paid out to the, like the winners and like the MPO and stuff. Right. Uh, not just MPO. I paid it out evenly through. So each person that entered into the event got a $10 players pack, which was $10 store credit to my store. And then from there, um, the other expenses we had, we paid $350 for the baskets, and then we paid $648 for the tea pads. Oh. Um, and that was our biggest expenditure overall. Um, and we didn't want to do it, but then somebody brought up that there was a safety issue with people falling. Um, and since I was the only company that could be held liable for anything that happened there, I had to just buy the tea pads. Like, and um, as soon sense. as a safety issue is brought up, I have to treat it with. Like, this is a big deal. Yeah. It was, um, a, fun, so, it was a fun tournament. Yeah, and, it was really cool. Um, talking to Alamelaine, um, I've gotten some numbers from them that are just really, really cool. Um, and so these are like the four big numbers. And I think these are, with these four numbers, you can convince anybody on any parks department that a disc golf course is worth it. Um, the first one is that a disc golf course costs a city $48,000 to put in. Um, and that's from start to finish project. Um, a disc golf course over an average daylight period can accommodate 548 people. A tennis court costs a minimum of $1.5 million to install without any upkeep and can accommodate four people at a time. Um, and then there's a big barrier to entry to play tennis. You got to have rackets, you got to have balls, and you, there's a lot of time. Like maybe you go get lessons or something. There's a lot of time and money tied up in that. Whereas disc golf, the barrier to entry is uh, three $15 discs is 40 bucks. And you could play any course with oh, 40 bucks. Um, and so I think we're we're going to see a lot of basically a resurgence or surgence of disc golf across the U.S. Because a lot of these parks are trying to be fiscally um, mindful and like spend money on stuff that is like sp- biggest bang for their buck and like a horseback riding trail um is takes up a ton of space 
and has a barrier to entry of like $150,000 because you need a truck, you need a trailer, you need a horse. And if you have a horse, you need a place to store it and feed it. Um, so we're going to see a lot, a lot more horses, I think, um, especially as cities start to see that disc golf courses bring in a lot of revenue. So like the NADGT championship in Texas had like 1,330 people or something like that and was expected to generate about one what was it like 13 million dollars or something like that in revenue over the weekend um that's a big deal that's not oh just God. that's not peanuts that's and not like only being with 700 people the so, fact I mean, that we had all those numbers is pretty impressive to me like if anyone was looking at a golf course and you just told me the thing that blew my mind right there was like 550 and it cost 40,000 for the like the lifetime or 1.5 million for a tennis court that holds four at a time. Like that's, mm -hmm. if you're looking at it from a cost perspective only, even whether you like disc golf or tennis, that's that's big, especially for like. It's a big deal. I uh, think it's going to be a like feather that. in somebody's bonnet or cap, um, like at the end of their career for putting in a bunch of different disc golf courses and how like they'll be able to sit there and look at how much money they saved the parks department and just the average person putting in disc golf courses i think that's where like we almost need to get to is like pulling those numbers those numbers aren't necessarily published or not you know out there like as reasonable and when you're starting to pitch like how do you start to like show like golf courses like okay you're gonna have ten dollar green fees and you're gonna have now anywhere between 300 to 500 people you know frequenting your spot like on a regular basis or 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 and you start to showcase those numbers because like that those are all like going to be like what matters that's where it's going to be hit them like we think about some of these private courses up here and they're charging five dollars per person for like for parking and how much are they getting like really with that you have a weekend tournament that has 180 people that's three thousand dollars that is just for having a having the spot that's not even what you charge for the venue that's not you know etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah but it's like how do you start to like take these numbers and showcase them not only to the city but some of these private courses in these private land that might be willing to hear you out and i don't think anybody's like really compiling those numbers and if they're doing they're very like secretive with it because like for me here in oregon we have a lot of like public parks a lot of national parks state parks that we have disc golf courses on yet we need to take those numbers and then maybe join forces with the san francisco in the bay area where there's a lot of private courses on golf courses and be able to kind of structure like okay if this is private we'll meet public here's these numbers and here's how we showcase and really start to like help that that you know sport boom but also like how do we go in and be like okay we already reinvested the forty five hundred dollars into like say pier park but how do we take pier park to the next level because the game's yeah. starting to develop and grow and some of these parks that are like put in play like alton baker like alton baker could be updated and it can be an amazing course with just a few like minor tweaks um but sometimes like people aren't willing to do their dexter like Everyone hates the prodigy baskets, but you know nobody wants they to work. spend. But nobody wants to spend what it what it'll take to update those baskets, right? In, you know, and it's just like okay, but you update the baskets, and it's a whole different course instantly. Let alone like moving something. So, I mean, I, I think that efficient pay-to-play courses are the future of disc golf, um, and it's going to be you pay five dollars to park there, and then you go play on a professional level course that's maintained. Um, I think that's where we're kind of we're kind of in the wild west right now, disc golf course wise. Like we're we're the disc is going up like that, and we're way down here still. Um, just like in time, like 
the sheer amount of people that don't play disc golf, it, it, it's a lot. And so it, that's going to grow. But it's kind of like a lot of these people are doing stuff to survive. And it's like that's their, their only way to survive is whatever it is that they're doing. And they don't – there is no bigger picture and there is no bigger plan. It's just how do we get through this year eating? And there's nothing wrong with that. But the sport's growing to the point to where, like, Innova's doing $320 million in revenue a year. That's not – we're not talking peanuts there. Uh, MVP sold more discs in 2021 than they sold in the past 11 years combined. I don't know what that number is, but it's it can't be a small one for that year. Um, like, we're, we're talking people are really making some moves, and there's a lot of people who are professional people who – they, they have their money, like they, they, they have an income, whatever it is, and they want to go play disc golf and they don't want to be interrupted. They don't want to be harassed and they want to get on and off the course and go about their lives. Um, and then you have a lot of people who are also like, hey, um, so if you look at it, uh, $75 a year, um, if you're only playing on your weekends, is 23 weekends. For somebody who's only going to play once a week, that's a, that's a lot of weekends to commit to making a membership worth it. And it's kind of like $3 to play doesn't sound that much until it's kind of like you're making a hundred dollars a week. And then all of a sudden, so let's say that you wanted to play at this $5, five times at a $5 a day disc golf course was that five, 10, 15, 20, 25 bucks. That's a third of your income. It's gone. And like, that's without buying or discs or anything. So like, I feel like we, we got like a disconnect in disc golf between the people who have money and like to play and the people who like to play and like to play because it's cheap. Um, and both of those, both of those groups deserve to be taken care of. And like, if you don't have money, you should still be able to play disc golf. It's not, that's the whole point is like, it's, it's cheap to play. Well, that's where like, I, I feel like you're right. But like when you can start to pull out some of this data and showcase it and it's like, we have like a structure that allows kind of that free to play already yep. across the United States. So like if you keep that and then you allow for like one or two courses to kind of be introduced over the next like four to five years in like any given area and you're using those numbers to showcase that, but then you're coming with the design in mind of what is like the pro level courses starting to look like. And I don't just mean like bomber golfer course. Cause then you look at like Roy G mm -hmm. Guerrero or where they're at in uh, WR Jackson right now, like that's a pro level course that's not bomber <laughs> you know it's definitely wooded and technical and tight and so it's like well how do you start to like you know reinvest some of that money and show those numbers that's yeah. going to be successful and find people that are wanting to step up because i think that's going to be like where that next step is going to be like need to happen and it's to the point where it's like well nobody's doing it so you should do it right like if yeah. anyone's listening to this I will like, do it. <laughs> yeah right like people like need to start to kind of like take ownership of golf within their area and you know do it. well, it's not hard to run a tournament it's not hard to get officiated it's not hard to get right. a fundraiser and it just know, takes time yeah um i what i feel is that eventually we're going to solve the conundrum of like what what does it to actually take to make a good disc golf course um um so golf notice. has the formula figured out a all golf courses are designed the same <laughs> Um, there's four par fives, there's four par threes, and then the rest are par fours. Um, and that, that they're all solved. Like that's how they all are. And I feel like disc golf is going to get to there where people want to play par fours. People want to throw a long drive and throw an approach and then try to make their putt for birdie. Um, and I feel like 
right now a lot of the courses are short because people you're, you're cramped into a smaller space so a par three is easier but i don't think that a, a course there are very few courses in the world that are all par threes that can claim to be a championship level course um like par fours and par fives are like can you throw the disc 500 feet in four throws or can you throw the disc a thousand feet in five throws yeah. yeah, I'm a big fan of part threes just because a lot of them you can ace run. Yeah, aces are the coolest thing in disc golf. Like, but I also I look for courses that have par fours. Yeah, I like I like to to grab that disc, my 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 distance driver to throw it as far as I possibly can. Yeah, because like Paige rudely said, um, Eugene has doesn't have a lot of that. So I carry like Stuart one. Pond has a couple. Stuart Pond Stuart Pond does have a couple. No, um, but it's not flooded. Hey, <laughs> negative. No, but I mean, I think you're right. But I think it's also like when you start to explore, like, like Pier Park is an all part three course that is championship mm -hmm. level, and it's amazing. Um, no, don't give it was a world championship course. Don't give me the it was. This <laughs> time I played there, I got lost from I went from like 12 to 15 to 13 and then walked off because like I couldn't find the next T pad. Keep oh, showing your toes. <laughs> <laughs> got lost in what was that fairy? Uh, was the movie that was done out there or TV uh, show? Lost Boys. No, the TV show. There was a lot lost here in Oregon. Boys. What? But what was it? Um, it was like a werewolf, grim vampire one. Grim. Grim, yeah, yeah, yeah. Grim. But um, it, it mean, is a great course. Um, it's my favorite city course. Like you actually have trees in the city. Um, but you're you're as soon as you say it's championship level, someone's just gonna go, well, where's the par four? But that's why I mean that's, that's where like you start to evaluate like what is like par threes and what is par fours because mm -hmm. you know like a whole par three like course I think is fine because not everything is birdieable there. I mean. There's going to be some that are just out of reach that it just can't be, you know, got or the ones that can. That's where that kind of championship level starts to take play. But that's why you have like when I say championship like level, like last year, you have like Simon who came over here and very famously said like Milo's overrated, Pier Park's his favorite, and like that to me is like that kind of level of a course. But it also hosted a world, so it's like, you know, you don't need to. I don't think you need to, you need to decide. Like what the course like needs to be like three, three par threes, four par fours. You know, like, I don't think that's gonna fix disc golf. I think being able to kind of showcase, and that's what disc golf has always been. You're showcasing where you're at. When I went to Hawaii, I enjoyed disc golfing more because I can see a very real side of Hawaii outside of going on a hiking trail where every tourist is going. You can see what the city is like when you go to like Pier Park and it's in city course. You're seeing a side of Portland that used to exist kind of before and you see these big old cedars, these big old firs and you're, you're in those woods when you go to like anywhere, like even Austin, you're away from the city and you're in the, you're in the thick of it. And so like for me, I get it. Yeah. But I just think to where it's like, well, you start to decide like, is this, can this part three be birdieable? Well, let's keep it a part three and make sure like everyone's going to par it. Like, because I think not enough people do that, right? I don't think there's enough courses that are like, you know, hey, nobody's going to get this par three, but it's not a par four. So go out there, take your par three and move on. And I think that's a challenge within itself that teaches a lot of discipline 
that I wish more courses would do. And same thing with par fours. There's soft par fours, and there's like almost impossible par fours unless you're throwing 700, 600 foot, <laughs> you know, drives. But I, I agree with showcasing the area. What what I'm saying, and the reason I I think 72 is close to a perfect number for scoring, because um, you can flip it over and go to 144 for two rounds. And then shooting like a like shooting a 58 is lights out, and that's really good. Now just in golf, and I think that if disc golf, I, the biggest thing is just the sheer size. And so like if there was a bigger space on Hawaii where they could have actually have implement, implemented putting in a guaranteed four par threes, a guaranteed four par fives, and a guaranteed was that ten par fours, I think that that course would have showcased the area even better with that format. Um, and it's kind of like, we, we don't have the pull to like, as a sport to say, Hey, we need this much space and we, we need this much space. And so we're forced to adapt to what's going on, which is fine. But the, I think a true championship course needs to test every aspect of your game. And there's something like, well, there are amazing par three only courses, um, a course that has 10 par fours and four par fives, there's something like the, the, just the knowledge that there's 10 par fours out there waiting for you, I think is a huge, like that's 10 birdies. That's 10 opportunities to throw two good shots and birdie. Um, and a par five is uh, op- like four par fives are opportunities to throw three good shots and a good putt. Um, and we don't, just because of space concerns, we don't have the ability to do those often. Um, and so we're we're not able to to kind of feel that flow. Um, I think, and maybe this is where like I'm playing devil's advocate. I feel like if that was like the standard, like I feel like we're going to be halted more than being able to be like, well, you know what? Instead of ten par fours, we have fourteen par threes, but we have four hundred foot par threes, four hundred fifty par threes because we can't fit but par fours. How, how many of the people that I sell discs to are going to birdie a four hundred foot par three? I mean not yet but that's like the whole like growth aspect of it right you're growing into a course like when i step up into a course and being like okay like blue lake when i first time i played there i couldn't birdie these holes but then i'm growing in and i'm learning how to man not only manage that like part three like on hole two for example it's 425 i'm not only managing that when i'm new i'm growing into being able to birdie it and being able to kind of offer some of those like but also like the the whole argument like numbers are arbitrary right numbers are meaningless to like what you're shooting Uh, and so like there's a there's definitely a morale part to it when you go out and you there's nothing but par threes and you get a bunch of fours it's rough and when you go out and there's a bunch of par fours and you get fours you you feel good about it um but i think the biggest thing is like a lot of we look at ma2 ma3 and even ma1 from a pro's perspective are just groups of people that haven't put enough time into the game to be good at it and i think that that's kind of wrong because a lot of my players that aren't getting any better, they're never going to get better. They have a broken leg, a bad back, their hands hurt, or um, they have kids, so they're never going to have the time to practice. And but see, that's like, where like I feel like. But your whole premise was arguing championship course, and those players shouldn't be on a championship course. When but I go to should. play, but I don't think they should. Like no, like when I go to they'll Blue play Lake, the be there. oh, they'll play the be there, but yeah. but so they should they, be respected. Oh, I'm not saying they shouldn't be respected. I'm just saying they shouldn't be expected to birdie a 400 foot par two or par three. And but if a core is set up where, like, let's just say every hole in the course is 325 feet, but they're all uphill and they're all par threes, 
I mean, that's just demoralizing to a, a new player who's like, well, I mean, I never even had the chance to, to get there. Like, and so my, my best shot is say 280 feet and I got another 60 feet uphill to make this putt. Like, and that's their, that's the, they're peaking. Like they're, that, that's the farthest they're ever going to throw. Um, designing a course that punishes them for that is, is kind of, it's brutal. And like, that's where um, implementing in more par fours give people the opportunity to have three good shots for birdie. And then they can recover with a fourth instead of it being, well, there's my drive. There's a second shot. Okay. So now I have no chance at birdie. I'm hoping to make this par when I know I'm going to get the bogey. And like, it's just that that mental thing of you got a par. Well, maybe I'm just in, dis- I guess, a disagreement, so I can just kind of agree to disagree in that. But, <laughs> I, but I mean, I'm just like when you say championship level course, like, oh, it, it that's not going to be. Well, it should be beautiful, but it's not going to be for everybody because a championship level thing, like you, like Blue Lake championship level course. If you can't keep it on the fairway, I'm sorry, you're going to be in blackberry bushes, and no, either, there's, there's no coming back from that. Yeah, and people <laughs> avoid Blue Lake, and that's fine, and that's where like hmm. I feel like. When you get there, like the championship shouldn't cater down, it should cater up because there's enough courses out there where you don't need to go and get bullied by that par three that you can't reach because you can go to an Alton Baker and feel good about getting the birdie or the par threes that you can get. And well, play even those Alton Baker's hard for like a, a decent chunk of my my customers. Like it's it's challenging. Yeah, but it's not a championship level course, and that's where like I feel like people can start to grow and like feel good. But when you put the clause of championship level, I feel like that's where like things start to take an adjustment. But I know we're running short on time, guys. It's almost seven and we can argue back and forth for days and we probably will when next time we meet up. So let's go to closing thoughts. Josh, you want to start us? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Where do I go, where do I go from here? <laughs> so with disc golf courses i feel i'm gonna put my two cents into your guys's little discussion about it i feel like there should be pro level courses and anyone can go to them as long as they can be good at them if you're going to go to a professional championship level course you're going to just throw discs and mess up the, the rate of play there's other courses for you Unfortunately, that's just the way it is. Can you play there? Of course you can. It's a it's a free country, but should you? Probably not. Probably not. Um, also, if you're going to run a course and charge people for it, um, always have customer service. There's a lot of places that don't. Alton Baker. <clears throat> no. <laughs> Cody, you want to shoot us off? Closing thoughts. <laughs> just terrible. Um, I really liked the. Like, I'm blown away by just the numbers that Myron was talking about earlier. And I think that adds some legitimacy to our sport. If you can sit there and crunch the numbers and you can make a a case for growing the game and growing the sport like that, that's hard to argue. Uh, I know Paige was saying numbers are arbitrary when you're talking about, like, um, for par. Yeah, I know. I'm getting Mute him, Josh. Women uh, lie, I'm, men lie, numbers don't. <laughs> I'm saying that numbers can be arbitrary for that. But when it comes to like, I'm a logical person. So like, if you give me numbers and data and research, I can't argue with that. So if you tell me, if you tell me that by putting in this disc golf course, it is going to offer our community 
more um, time for kids, family, adults to be active over a more expensive tennis court. Just because tennis is more popular, it probably is put in more parks or maybe more well-known. But if you put numbers up like that and I was on a city council, I would have no rebuttal for that. No, there's not. If if people continue to make progress for growing the sport like this um, and you can give facts and numbers and not just say, like, I want to play disc golf because it's cool. Like, that's not going to win people over. But if you can make it legitimate, if you can make a argument that is based on facts, sign me up. All right, Myron, closing thoughts. Uh, my biggest closing thought is that you guys are awesome. Um, it's really cool, like to be a part of this. Um, I think disc golf is at the peak or at the start of the golden age. Like literally, like the golden age of disc golf. That's where we are. We have the best players of all time. We have the best discs of all time. We have the best courses of all time, and we have the best access to information with the internet. That it's just insane. Um, my biggest thing that I would say to people is try to throw some lighter MVP discs. Um, if you're struggling with getting distance and you're struggling with throwing stuff, MVP is might have something for you. Um, and from there, um, pick discs that you can throw or that you think are pretty. Um, don't go for stuff that other people think, or think is cool. Like be your own person and get what makes you happy. Because at the end of the day, disc golf is what makes me happy. And so I think disc golf is what should make everybody happy. Oh, yeah. So I want to thank Myron um, for coming in and stepping up and being our guest, even alongside the technical difficulties, working it all out. Um, it was an absolute blast. My closing thoughts is always this, right? I talk about it all the time. Support your local dealer um, over buying online. You know, go in, see what they have in the used bin, see what they have on their shelves. And then if they don't have it, go shop online, right? Because there's yeah. going to be rare discs that don't exist. But my one of my favorite things to do, because I travel so much for tournaments, is to go and see, like, oh, hey, here's a – I went to visit three or 360 discs up in Bremerton, Washington. They have 51 brands of discs in their store. And 51. the fact that – 51. And I was blown away. And he was so proud of that. And he's like, I'm working on 52. I'm working on 52. He has – I think there's 73 companies or something yeah. like that making discs. That so he's like, but he has that, which is awesome as a customer because then you can be like, all I've ever heard of was this brand or these discs. Now I can feel them and see for myself. And that's such an amazing thing. So being able to make time in your travels to stop by your local stores, like $25 might not mean that much to you, but that $25 sale is going to help them stay in business, help that it's brick like and mortar, you know? And so it's like, for me, my closing thoughts is just that go visit a local store. With that, Myron, thank you so much for coming in. And everyone, keep jamming it in the rough. <laughs>